This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And this radio program is dedicated to you, to taking your Bible questions, questions about stuff that's going on in your life, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. One button, call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we made it. We're on the air today. We made it through the first week of 2021. I thank you for you uh, taking the time to tune in. Uh, Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we're going to be having our Friday Night Bible study. Please pray for me because this is the verse. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And we're in Ephesians chapter 5. So I'm going to do verses 20. 2 through 24 tonight. Uh, Just one study, ladies, so don't get mad at me. It's just one study. When we get to the men, uh, husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her, that's probably going to be minimally two and more likely three Bible studies just for that. So that's just an indication that we men are hardheads and we need a lot more attention. And there is more accountability uh, in the process as well. So... um, Tonight at 7 o'clock, you can live stream at calvarysa.com. Additionally, we have some room on Friday night, so you're more than welcome to join us uh, for the Bible study as well. Okay, let's go. We've got a caller waiting on the line, and we'll go from there. We've got Paul calling from Seguin on line one. Paul, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How are you doing, Pastor? Paul, I'm doing well. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm still... Working at getting work. Oh, good. And, uh, it's not going as good as I thought. I just keep getting more and more expenses. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it's going to get really hard for a lot of people, Paul. Yeah. So, just wanted to share that and say, God is good and He is to be trusted. And that's all that I can say. Okay, Paul. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. It's good to hear from you again. 
keep uh, checking in from time to time so we know how you're doing, okay? Sure will. Thank you. Okay. Uh-huh. God bless you. Here is my first question today. This one comes from Scott from our email inbox. And he says, how are we, those who live in the age of grace, where we live by the fruit of the Spirit, like love, peace, kindness, gentleness, how do we apply or how do we read Old Testament passages like Psalms where David is imploring God to smite, to destroy, or smash those who oppose him or who are against God himself? Um, Scott, I just finished another trip through the Psalms, and I was sort of laughing about that. I finished it uh, two weeks ago. And I was just thinking, what a different perspective uh, in the Old Testament from the New Testament. Now, a couple of things. Um, the Psalms are poetry. Um, they're, they're literally lyrics that were set to music. Um, and and uh, we're, we're not to make doctrine by reading the poetic books, whether it's Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or Job. Um, or or uh, uh, the Song of Solomon. Um, we're not to make doctrine out of these things. We're to understand them in their context. We also need to understand the Jewishness of the Psalms. And when we read the Psalms and we see somebody like David, uh, who is just asking God, uh, that my enemies are trying to destroy me, God uh, smashed the teeth out of their mouth, that kind of thing. Um, uh, God, those who oppose you, I hate them, uh, destroy them. Uh, That's sort of the natural prayer of the human condition. I think that's what we have to understand. It's important, in fact, critical, Scott, that we realize that David didn't have the Holy Spirit the way you do and I do. Uh, David was part of an Old Testament, um, um, uh, a Jew under the law. Uh, he didn't know anything about having a relationship with God in, in the sense that we do. Now, he clearly was a man after God's heart, and, and, but, but he didn't really know all of God's heart. Until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, comes in you, you don't really know the character, the nature of God, the way that character and nature has been revealed to us. So he didn't have a Galatians 5, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, he understood things in black and white context. And uh, when somebody opposed God, you know, if you're enemy of God, you are my enemy kind of thing. And he just didn't know any better. So that's just being real. And the truth of the matter, Scott, is that, that even those of us who are, are in this age of grace, this dispensation of grace, we need to understand that uh, we do have the Holy Spirit. Uh, David never heard Jesus say to love your enemies, to turn the other cheek, uh, but we've heard it. Um, another thing that David didn't have, because he didn't have the Holy Spirit, he didn't have Romans 5.5. 5. He never heard it, never read it. Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the love of God in our hearts, then we're going to hate people that, that come against us. We're going to be incapable of loving people. So what we do now that we have this power is by faith we've got to draw on that power. And I think that's the most important thing. Uh, one of the problems when people aren't reading the Bible um, in context, when they're not reading and understanding that this is a Jewish psalm and it's written to people under the law, um, David had no understanding at all. No understanding at all. 
that God was going to come and live in us. I say often here, Scott, to our church, that that any of the Old Testament saints, when we studied through Hebrews chapter 11 as an example, every one of those people that we look at and, and, and consider heroes, and we think, oh, if only I could part the Red Sea, and if only I could make water come from a rock, those kind of things. But remember that every one of those Old Testament heroes given the opportunity, would have changed places with us in a minute. Because the, the, the idea of, of Christ in us, the hope of glory, was impossible for them to understand. Unlike us, who have the Holy Spirit, all we have to do is remember to be obedient to Jesus. We have a whole different perspective, a whole lot more information and Scott, that's what's really important here. Again, that's why it's so important that we don't read the Psalms and say, uh, and I had a question asked, well, well, if, if the people who are doing these things in Washington or if the people that are on the different side politically than we are, uh, you know, they're so anti-God, uh, can't we hate them? No. We need to remember that they may be the enemy of God, but God is not their enemy. God loves them. And that means they become the object of our faith rather than the enemy of our faith. And it's our job to go tell them about a God that they don't possibly know. So that's what's going on in the Old Testament. And there's a whole bunch of that. Imagine David, who for 10 years, after being anointed by Samuel as the king of Israel, for 10 years, having been completely loyal to Saul, now Saul's chasing him. He's hiding in caves. We can only begin to imagine how difficult it was for David to look at somebody like King Saul and love him. By the way, that's one of the reasons that the Jews rejected Jesus. They would have recoiled against the Sermon on the Mount. No, no, when, when my God comes, and we all like to sort of make God who we want him to be, when my Messiah comes, he'll take away all of the oppression. He'll level the scales of justice and we'll no longer be oppressed by our enemies. So, Scott, good question. That's what's going on there. Thank you very, very much. Here is the next question from our email inbox, and it's anonymous, and it is a little bit complicated, so bear with me for a moment while I read it. Um, I like the way it starts. I have a friend, and it's not me. I have a friend, and it's not me, who has a very complicated marriage. I asked her if it was okay to ask your advice, and she said yes. She is a Christian and is trying very hard to be obedient to God. Her husband became acquainted with an 18-year-old girl who appears to be slow mentally. My friend says that she thinks that when the girl turned 18, her parents got in her apartment and left her there. She has a part-time job at a fast food place. Somehow she came to know my friend's husband, when he was the maintenance worker at her apartments. Then she offered to help him, and now he takes her with him, even takes her shopping and out to eat. My friend says she's not jealous, but is very frustrated with him. So they went to talk to our pastor, who told him that he was wrong. The husband got mad and said that God had told him to help the girl, and he denied that they were having a sexual relationship. Just recently, he told my friend, 
what he thought about divorce, that it was a loving thing to do, like letting a bird go free. So my friend doesn't know what to think, although she's beginning to think that she would be better off. I'm not a counselor. I just listen, pray, and show her scripture from the Bible. Now, what do you think? Uh, That is a loaded situation. I can tell you off the top of my head, it sounds to me like your Christian friend is married to an unbeliever. Now, he may drag her to church and and, uh, you know, when, when a, a believer, a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, sits in front of his pastor and his pastor says, here's what the Bible says, what you're doing is wrong, you need to repent and stop doing it. And all he does is get angry. That is a pretty clear indication, at least to me. I, I remember I've counseled hundreds, if not thousands of times over 25 years here as the pastor. Uh, it's a clear indication to me that this is a person who's not saved. Um, I think your friend is in a very difficult situation. Um, whether this woman is slow mentally, whether it's jealousy, none of that matters. Anything that makes the wife uncomfortable, the husband needs to walk away from. It's just that simple. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. That means you put the needs of your wife ahead of your own needs. When he says that, or when it says in your in your post here that um, the, the pastor said to leave and he denied having a sexual relationship, um, sounds like maybe he's guilty. I don't know. But whether he is or not, it's irrelevant. If his wife wants him to leave this other girl alone, then that's exactly what he should do. So she needs to pray for him. She needs to read 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, Paul and I have talked about that on the air here many, many times. Uh, when a woman is married, a believing woman is married to an unbelieving man, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, God will speak to your friend about her role. That's really, really important. She needs to be obedient to God. And then um, God will work on the husband. But believe me, um, they, they really need, you already said they went to their pastor. Uh, but, but a man who's not willing to, um, to, to take the counsel of his pastor is making things very, very difficult. So the best I can tell you is she needs to be surrounded by ladies in her church who can comfort her, who can pray for her. Uh, that people that she can talk to without gossiping or anything, but 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 women that she trusts, uh, and she needs to get so close to Jesus right now so he can take care of her, regardless of what this husband is going to do. These are really really difficult things. The truth is, we can't make people say yes to the Lord. We can't make people do it. As much as we'd like to, we just can't. So I, I hope that helps. It's the best I can do with the information that I have. But it sounds to me like a, a, a Christian woman is married to an unbelieving man. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a caller that called into the studio. What is the significance of Samuel returning to the city where he was born to die? Uh, I don't know that there's any special significance other than to say, you know, Samuel was a circuit judge, so he was constantly traveling. So when it was time for him to die, um, he he would sort of come full circle. 
And I think that's that's the only significance of it at all. It's not like a um, um, a trout that goes back to die where it was spawned. Uh, I, I just think Samuel, a prophet of God, uh, and and by the way, the first judge of Israel. I think uh, Samuel was just being obedient, and the Lord just brought him full circle. I, there there are great significances to some of the, the trips when. Uh, Elijah takes Elisha back on the path that Elijah uh, traveled. Uh, there's great significance. Second uh, Kings chapter two. It's one of my favorite Bible studies to do, by the way. Um, but but I think in this case, it's just Samuel uh, going home to die to be with the Lord. So thank you for the question. I appreciate it very very much. Here is our next question. It comes from. Kindle from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. Who or what is the body of Moses in Jude verse 9? Is it the physical body of Moses or is the nation of Israel considered to be the body of Moses or does it mean something totally different? Please explain giving scripture references to clarify meaning. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, Kindle. Uh, Jude 9, let me read it. It says, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him or for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, that's pretty staggering. You know, we get all these TV preachers saying, I bind you, Satan, and I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Not even Michael, the archangel, who was the angelic equivalent in terms of power, levels of power, with Lucifer, who, who became Satan. Uh, even even Michael refused to do that. So he just said, no, Lord, you take care of, of, of this situation. Now, what they were disputing about is Moses' physical body, not anything else. There's no symbolism. Uh, if you look in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 34, um, Moses, at the end of his life, remember, he misrepresented God. He struck the rock. And it says in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 34, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, uh, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Uh, but to this day, and this that means the day of writing, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. Um, that's sort of a um, tombstone and epitaph for, for Moses. Uh, a man full of strength, 120 years, um, and, and he was as vigorous as he always was. But this goes under the category, Kindle, of uh, too much is given, much is required. Um, Moses had a very special place. And when he misrepresented God, then God knew it was time to change things and go with a new leader. Of course, that would be Joshua. But he also knew this. He knew that the the uh, enemy, the devil, would would try to, to find the body of Moses, try to make sure that somehow it got back to the people of Israel, and they would have worshipped it. They would have found a way to mummify it, um, um, but they would have worshipped it. And, and God said, no, I'm going to bury him to keep him safe so nobody knows where his body is. Now, Moses, we know, died for sure. We also know that Moses appeared in the Promised Land on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, 
when Jesus was uh, needing instruction about what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem uh, when he was betrayed and, and crucified. So um, God buried his body. Uh, it's one of those unique situations, uh, not the same as, but similar to uh, Enoch being taken away or Elijah being translated uh, in a chariot of fire. Um, well, Moses really died. We know that. But um, uh, his body was protected uh, because God had a purpose for it. And by the way, Moses is going to come back yet again at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. He and Elijah will appear in the streets of Jerusalem at the Western Wall. And uh, they will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first three and a half years until they die. And they will be killed at the midway point of the Great Tribulation. Kendall, very, very good question. Thank you. I appreciate it very, very much. I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from, let me see the next one. I've got it here. Matthew. He says, in Revelation 1.10, John says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. What day was that, Saturday or Sunday? Well, Matthew, we know that the day um, of, uh, with, with the closing of the Old Covenant, uh, the day of worship, the Sabbath, or the day when, when congregational worship occurred, was changed from the seventh day to the first day of the week, commemorating the, um, the, the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was sort of the, the, the New Testament church's exclamation point, and everything changed. Eight is the number of new beginnings, and all of that changed right there. So based on the apostles establishing Sunday, not Saturday, I know we've got a lot of Sabbatarians, we've got a lot of people listening to this program who, you know, we got to keep the law and, and said the Sabbath is to be honored forever. But remember, that's the old covenant, and Jesus wiped away the old covenant and introduced a new covenant and the apostles, the authority in this matter, they're the ones that changed the day of worship, corporate worship, when they gathered together as a body from the seventh day to the first day. And so when John says on the Lord's Day, it would have been almost certainly, Matthew, on Sunday, the first day of the week. Good question. Thank you for it. I'm going to be doing Revelation in the near future uh, as soon as we get done with uh, Ephesians on Friday nights, it's probably going to be, oh, three more months. Um, as soon as we get done with that, then um, I'm going to be um, starting in the book of Revelation again. It's been some years since we've done it. And as I've told you on this program many times, uh, we go to that book and the book of Acts more often than any of the others simply because um, of their value. Um, practical value to the church in these last days. Good question. Henry wants to know, at the end of the Great Tribulation, will all Jews get saved? Um, no, all Israel will be saved, Paul says when he writes to the church at Rome. Um, but, but he also says in that letter to the Romans that, that not all Israel really is Israel. Now here's what I mean. Israel means governed by God. That's why Jacob's name was changed from con man to governed by God. Um, but but when when Israel, the nation, gets saved, it's only going to be those who are converted. We also know from the prophecy of Zechariah that 
uh, that's going to be about one-third of the individual Jews who are alive at the time Jesus returns in Revelation chapter 19. So at the end of the Great Tribulation, all Jews will not get saved. All Israel, and that's a way of saying all true believers. It's like when people say, well, how do you know who's saved? Well, all born-again believers are going to get saved. And when, when the rapture of the church happens, everybody who's truly born again, not professors of Christ, but those whose hearts have really been changed by God, um, those of us uh, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, uh, we will be um, taken to be with the Lord at the rapture. Well, at the end of the Great Tribulation, Jews who believe, again, one-third, two-thirds will reject, but one-third of the Jews alive at the time of Jesus' return, then they will be saved. They will repent, they will weep and mourn as never before, and Jesus will come and rescue them. And uh, imagine what a wonderful day that's going to be. You know, Jesus at one point cried out as he looked over what he called a desolate city. Uh, it hadn't been destroyed yet, but he knew it would be. Uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you only knew that I'd come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. In other words, I came to you to protect you, to love you, to rescue you, and you wouldn't be rescued. So, Henry, only the Jews who convert, only born-again Christians are going to be in heaven. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week is all. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday program, 340-9585. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Vaughn. I hope you're feeling warm in this delicious, chilly weather. Don't you call it delicious. It's killing me, Cindy. (laughs) It's yummy. (laughs) I'm just a Colorado girl. You know, this is is holiday stuff for me. But you know what I'm wondering about? Um, Okay, so Andrew's brother was Simon, and Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, which means the rock. Now, what I'm wondering about is why did he change Saul's name to Paul, and is there some type of meaning in in Paul's name? I I was curious about that with my morning coffee this morning, and I'll get off the uh, phone and listen on the radio. Thank you, Cindy. You started started the week, and now you're ending it. God bless you. Oh, I I was the first caller, wasn't I? Uh, You were the first caller of 2021. (laughs) thanks Cindy Uh, Simon does not mean Peter Simon means shifting sand Uh, Peter doesn't really mean rock Peter means it's it's a pebble like a little tiny rock that's one of the things we need to understand or we get the um, um, you're the rock of the foundation we sing the song Um, but but it just just Peter, you were unstable in all of your ways when your name was Simon. I'm going to make you solid as you stand on the massive rock of your profession of faith. Now, Saul um, and, and Paul, we don't have any indication, Cindy, whether Paul changed his name or God asked him to change it. We don't know. Um, unlike Peter, where we have the details, we don't really have any details at all when it comes to uh, to Paul 
and, and his name changed from Saul. Now, here's what I think was happening, and my, my guess, and that's all it is, my guess would be that Paul changed his name. Remember, he was very proud as a Pharisee of his descendants from the tribe of Benjamin, um, of the tribe that had the first king of Israel, um, um, zealous regarding the law, faultless, um, or so he thought. And um, at some point after meeting Jesus, um, he realized that he wasn't at all important, not, not something that was big or massive. The word Paul means little. We have a lady, had a lady in the past at our church who called uh, Paula Paulito. And, and it's just like, my little Paula. Well, that was Paul. Paul understood his littleness in comparison to God's bigness. I know I'm making those words up, but it makes the point. So uh, I personally think that, that Paul changed his name. Um, but again, could have been something that Jesus told him to do or, or uh, just maybe together they came to the conclusion. But I just think it's the natural working of the Holy Spirit. Paul thinking he was such a big shot, so important on God's high horse. And he found out really he was just a little tiny cog and, and uh, uh, I think he reveled in his littleness. Uh, the, the, the bigger his Jesus became, I think the more precious to him his littleness really was. And I think, Cindy, that's a great question um, 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 for all of us. You know, we need, as we get closer and closer to Jesus, and we see how good he is and how big he is, how powerful he is then we all ought to look at our, our littleness in relation to that. I think there's great freedom in that. Good question, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. Nathan has a question about the book of Revelation. Nathan says, is Revelation symbolic only? Because it's hard to understand if it is not. Nathan, it absolutely is not symbolic only. It is to be taken literally whenever it can be taken literally. Um, there are things that are symbols that John is describing. Remember, John is, is receiving a vision and he's doing the best he can with human language to write what he's seeing. Well, how do you describe an invasion in, in the Great Tribulation, the, the, the plague of locusts? Uh, how, how do you react to and describe 100-pound hailstones? Um, and, and, and the whole book is filled with those, but but all of the symbols are explained elsewhere in Scripture. So the value of the book is that it is a literal dream or vision, and we are to understand it literally. Now, I think personally that the Holy Spirit goes out of his way to, to uh, make us understand that it's literal. Um, in chapter 2 and 3, he writes to seven literal historical churches that all of his readers would have been familiar with. In Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey, um, and, and, and you know those aren't symbolic of anything. Now, while they're not symbolic, there are still symbols, and, and, um, but those symbols all point to literal truths. Remember that symbolism is explained in the book of Revelation. All you got to do is know your Old Testament. The other thing I want to tell you, Nathan, is please don't get discouraged uh, with the book of Revelation, it's not 
difficult at all. I've actually made people angry when I said that, oh, how come you think you understand what we're... It's really easy. This is a book that God promises a blessing if you read it and if you understand it, if you do it. You think he's just playing a mean trick on us by giving us a book that we can't understand? I think the, the outline of the book of Revelation is given to us in the very first chapter. It's verse 19. Write what you have seen. What he's seen is that, that, that revelation of Jesus, the person of Christ. Uh, write what is. That was the, the, the seven churches and the church age that existed at the time, excuse me, at the time of writing. And then he says, write what is to come. And that begins in the fourth chapter. If you take that outline and apply it, Nathan, I think you're going to find that book is really, really easy. I said in the first half of the program, we're going to be doing Revelation next on Friday nights here at Calvary Chapel. And that's the one thing I'm going to start. I start every time I teach it. This is not a difficult book. And I, I don't want people to get discouraged and give up. It's, it's a hard book sometimes because of the things that we read about. But it isn't difficult at all to understand. Nathan, one suggestion. You can go to our website, calvaryessay.com. Everything we have is free. Go to our, our Bible studies. And uh, uh, I've got uh, a commentary that I've written, my own personal notes. It's not really commentary, it's my own notes. But at the same time, uh, all of my studies are there for you to, to kind of take you through the book of Revelation and expect the blessing that God has for you. It, it truly will bless you, I promise you. Good question, Nathan. Good luck in your study of Revelation. Ronald says, Pastor Ron, will you explain the difference between position and practical perfection, please? Um, okay, Ronald, I think you mean positional uh, perfection versus practical perfection. I can do that. Um, it's what we call, we call this the, the doctrine of sanctification. Um, Jesus sees us, God the Father sees us through the filter of Jesus. As perfect. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So positionally, this is important, positionally, we stand before God completely innocent of all charges. Now, I've done a lot of really, really bad stuff, Ronald. Horrible stuff. And yet, uh, I've already been declared in heaven innocent of all charges. It's one of the reasons I like to spend so much time with Jesus and I like to think about heaven rather than all this nonsense that's going on in this world. I like to think about it because that's the only place I'm innocent. So positionally, we are perfect. Practically, it's another story. We've got this flesh, this carnal nature that's living in us. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, said, I find this lot work. When I sin, it's not me who sins, but sin living in me. So we've got to battle our flesh, and we've got to battle temptation all the time. And so practically, our salvation is being worked out. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, he said in chapter 2, I think it's the 12th verse, he said to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for it, we already have it but work out our salvation. In other words, we become more like Jesus every single day. And the more we become like him, the less we're going to sin. But we can never, in this body realm, get to a place where we are practically perfect. We can't ever get to the place where we are sinless. 
That will happen on the day these old flesh and blood bodies uh, are tossed away and we inherit our new glorified physical resurrected bodies fit for an eternity with Jesus in heaven. It's very important. You know, Ronald, I've had people leave the church here because uh, they believed in in practical sinlessness. It's simply not going to happen. In Romans chapter 7, read it. The great apostle Paul talks about the things he wants to do, he can't do. The things he doesn't want to do, that's what I find myself doing, he says. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. So Paul wasn't speaking theoretically there. He was speaking about his own personal experiences. And again, if he can't be perfect, the man God used to greater degree, greater extent than any other human ever, if he can't be practically perfect, then we can't either. We should aim for perfection, Ronald. That's what Paul writes. Jesus said the same thing. We should always live wanting to be perfect. Uh, But when we do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, whoever lives to intercede for us. Uh, And all we have to do is confess our sins. He will be faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all sins. So relationship. Um, We're working on it, working through it. Um, But in heaven, can you imagine the devil who is the accuser of the brethren saying to to the Father, I, I don't know why the devil still has access to the throne room of God, but he does. Can you imagine him going in there and saying how frustrating it is for him to say, well, I know that Pastor Ron and and and, and he's done this and he's done this and, and, and Jesus would just look at him and say, innocent of all charges. Not just not guilty, innocent of all charges. That is a great deal. Thank you. Regina asked this question. Pastor Ron, how should a Christian protect themselves from getting caught up with the political junk going on? Regina, you got to tune it out. You know, this is one place, and I could really go off here, so I'm not going to do it, but this is one place where almost nobody listens. You know, we're to, to set our hearts and our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And we've got people in the church, including our church, we've got people who are so focused on the news, being bombarded 24 hours a day with, with stuff, and then when, when they're not watching the news, they're reading a newspaper, or they're on social media arguing with other people about this stuff. And the truth is, we can't protect ourselves unless we make the choice just not to get caught up in that stuff. we got to tune it out, turn it off. And too many people, Regina, just won't do it. So let me just talk to you. This is how you protect yourself. And I told you a minute ago, this is something nobody listens. I have a right to an opinion. I need to know the information. That information isn't drawing you any closer to Jesus. And the enemy, the devil, is just waiting for exactly the right moment to catch you in a place where you're vulnerable. And he will pounce. So just make a decision. Don't spend so much time on social media. Don't spend so much time listening to the news. Take that time and spend it in your Bible and walking with Jesus. 
And he'll do the protecting. We can't protect ourselves. He'll do the protecting. All we have to do is give him the opportunity to do so. And Regina, one of the heartbreaking things of my life is that people I really love, right here at Calvary Chapel and, and other places too, but, but I want to personalize this. People right here at Calvary Chapel will not protect themselves and they play right in the hands of the enemy and in the process many of them are, are compromising, if not completely ruining their Christian witness. That's how important this is. So Regina, you protect yourself. Stay away from social media. Stay away from the news. Refuse to get engaged uh, in, in articles or in arguments. And just get closer to Jesus. He's the only source of peace. And if we keep getting wrapped up with all of the junk that's going on in this world, we're going to go crazy. And if we keep getting wrapped up in all that junk, we're going to be completely ineffective, useless in our ministry for the Lord. And when I say that, Regina, and I'll, I'll stop after this, uh, I was a journalism major in college. I have been a news junkie my entire life, and I'm going back to when I was seven, eight, nine years old. I just had this need to know stuff. Um, if I'm going to be effective in my ministry for Jesus, I've got to protect myself from all that other stuff. And so do you, Gina. Regina, I hope that helps. Anonymous asks, what are your thoughts on Christians taking the COVID vaccine? A family member says Jesus' blood is all the vaccine that he needs. You know, um, Anonymous, the, the choice to take a vaccine is between you and the Lord. Period. It's something Romans 14, 23 says, anything not of faith is sin. This is one of those areas that the Bible doesn't cover specifically. It covers generally. And you need to do what, what you feel like the Lord is leading you to do. So the, the, I don't want anybody ever to be made to feel guilty for, for wanting to be vaccinated against this pernicious disease. So here's what you do. You let Jesus tell you. And, and you know what? There's no wrong thing to do. It's, it's not like you're showing a lack of faith if you take the vaccine. Um, and it's not showing you that you're, you're tougher than other people if you don't take the vaccine. So do what you want to do, what you feel like the Lord is leading you. Now let me spend a few minutes on the last sentence. A family member says Jesus' blood is all the vaccine that he needs. That is absolute trash, hogwash. That is um, um, spiritual pablum, um, faith and prosperity, junk. Um, Jesus' blood cleanses us from sin. But if we get sick, we get a shot. Or we take vitamins. We, we do what we need to do. And, and, and um, that, that is a complete misunderstanding of Jesus' blood. That's not... Um, Jesus' blood has nothing to do with us being physically healed. Not at all. And this is a dangerous thoughtless, uh, ignorant view of, of medication. If you need medication, uh, thank the Lord that he made people really smart to, to invent it, and you can take medication and get better. 
and uh, in some cases we can uh, prevent um, the possibility of getting a disease that has turned out to be really, really difficult and tragic for a lot of people. So I hope that makes sense. Let's go to Florence, Texas, and talk with Mike on line one. Mike, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks, Pastor Ron. I just had a quick question. Uh, It's sort of about the election. I hear different pastors talk about, you know, Romans 13 submitting to authorities and how our Constitution, you know, it's a God-given right. And, you know, that we gave the government that right. And I wanted to get your opinion just to, uh, so I could understand it from your point of view. Okay, Mike, I can do that. I'm, um, I'm, I'm careful with my choice of words here because I, I, it, it's easy for somebody who already has their mind made up. I'm not saying this about you either, Mike, not at all, but, but people that have their mind made up hear what they want to hear. Um, yeah. um, Romans 13 is, uh, when, when Peter wrote it, when Paul wrote it, um, uh, Peter, Peter said the same thing in his epistle. Um, the the govern, governing authority was a madman, a, certainly a, a, a demon-possessed madman, um, Caesar yeah. Nero. And, and, and they said to submit to the authority. And then he says authority is a gift given to people by God. In other words, that's for order. So we submit to authority until and unless what the authority tells us to do conflicts with what the Word of God says to do. And I think we 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 can know when that is. Um, if 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 I'm told, um, for instance, China had a, a ban on kids and there were a lot of abortions, um, um, we couldn't do that because that's a violation of God's law. When Peter and John and the others were told by the by the religious authorities that they were under uh, authority of uh, to uh, to never to preach in this name again. Peter said, well, you decide what's right. Should we obey you or should we obey God? And he said, as for me, I can't keep talking about this name. So so I think, Mike, what we have to do is understand these as individual stands. I think there are times when civil disobedience is appropriate. It isn't a violation of the law of God in any fashion or form. Uh, I believe that um, uh, if, if, in fact, I know that if we were told as a church that we could not meet, if the local authorities came and said, no, no more churches, no more meetings, no more gatherings, uh, we would violate that order uh, because the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. The Bible says that we are the pillar and foundation of the truth. If we let the truth and the foundation walk out of here, then the world is, is we're, just, we're just giving the world over. So I think it's really important uh, to choose your battles carefully. I think that there are times when we are going to submit to a government um, that we don't agree with. As long as they're not asking us to personally violate what the Word of God has said, I think that is the, the rule, and it's pretty straightforward in, in our Scripture. Okay. You know, Mike, in, in um, just uh, less than two weeks, um, we're going to have a new president, an entirely new administration, uh, they are already very clear about the agenda that they are going to going to to follow, and I, I tell you, no real Christian can be pleased with that agenda. There are 65 million babies that have been murdered as a result of a government gone crazy. Um, so we're we're going to be tested, but we've got to remain respectful. We've got to remain prayerful. 
for the people in positions of, of authority over us. Um, we, we shouldn't speak ill of our leaders. Um, and when we do, then we are the ones who are in sin. Remember that we want to protect our witness. We don't want to compromise our message simply because we're angry about a, a new government coming in or a new direction that the government is taking. I believe with all of my heart, Mike, that this is uh, a time that we're heading into in 2021. I think it is a time that is going to get so dark and our government's true colors is going to going to be revealed. And I believe that it's going to result in the single greatest opportunity since the 1960s when the Jesus movement started uh, to, to spark a revival in the hearts of men and women throughout this country and, in fact, the world. So I just think that's the way it is. Um, you've heard me say probably, Mike, that that uh, the government or that the people in the world, all over the world now, are dealing with the, the same exact epidemic. And uh, I think God is going to soften a whole bunch of hearts. And we've got to be in a position to share the truth of Jesus Christ, unafraid, unashamed, and even in defiance of local orders to close down. You know, Mike, I'm, I'm running out of time here. I've got a friend, uh, a friend, and he's a casual friend is all, but he's a pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Jose, California. They are already in excess of one and a half million dollars in fines. Um, they haven't closed them down yet. Uh, they, they won't do that because the Supreme Court has already validated um, the, the, um, the, the Constitution of the United States and our right to gather, um, but they just keep finding them. And at some point, because they can't pay the fines, they're going to shut everything down. We don't know when that's going to be. But but more than a million and a half dollars in fines. And this is a guy who's got a church of 700 people. Yeah. He can't possibly afford any of that. And and I think I think there's times when we're going to have to justify this is civil disobedience. Uh, this is a part of our nation's fabric. But we can be disobedient and not compromise our witness at the same time. So we don't cross that line between uh, obeying God and obeying man. Does that make sense, Mike? Yes, it does. And I just have one quick question. Uh, you, you gave a Bible verse the other day about prophets. Uh, my mother-in-law keeps sending me this about these prophets. Say Trump's yeah, going to get in office. I'm, I'm Mike, we're going to go on. We're going to get cut off. It's Ephesians, okay. Ephesians 2.20. Okay, thank Ephesians you Ephesians 2.20. Uh-huh. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Been a great week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, go to church and be a blessing to the body. Bye-bye.